You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, October 11th. I'm Portia Cook. And I'm Kier McKinley. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Kier McKinley goes over campus news with updates on Colorado State University's first football win of the season. Then Portia covers local news with updates on Indigenous Peoples Day. After that, Portia reports on music, entertainment, and events news with information on an upcoming CSU homecoming celebration. Then tune in as Kier McKinley interviews members of ASCSU about disputes in the overall ASCSU culture. Then McKinley goes over environmental news with updates on a fire at Easter Island. After that, I go over national news with updates on the kidnapping and murder of four family members in California. Then stay tuned as Ewan Pert goes over updates in CSU sports. And to conclude today's show, I take a look at what Fort Collins has in store for the weather this week. The following Rocky Mountain Review news broadcast was pre-recorded on Monday, October 10th. Let's move right into campus and local news. In campus news... Colorado State University emitted its highest number of students yet in 2022. Fall of 2022 enrollments emphasize admitting students who are first-generation students and diverse students from all over the state of Colorado. About 60% of students admitted this past year are from Colorado. CSU System Chancellor said, quote, Students returning to campus in a record number is wonderful news for our students, the state, and its workforce and it demonstrates how well people understand the long-term value of a college credential, end quote. The 2022 first-year class was the largest first-year class ever admitted. There are 5,517 students within this class, which is a 7% increase from last year. Information from this story comes from CSU Source News. At the beginning of last week, CSU was one of the arguably worst two football teams in the country next to CU. The two teams were the only teams in the country to have not won a game yet so far this season. As of last Friday, though, this no longer holds to be true, as the CSU football team won their first game of the season against the University of Nevada. The University of Nevada is also the new CSU football's coach, former's team. CSU won this game 17-14. For more information on CSU sports, make sure to stay tuned. As later on in the show, you and Pert will go over CSU sports updates. Thank you for listening to my campus news updates. Stay tuned for Portia Cook's local news updates. I'm Portia Cook reporting your local news for Tuesday, October 11th. The city of Fort Collins is saying goodbye to Columbus Day and recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day. According to Molly Bohannon of the Coloradoan, Fort Collins City Council unanimously voted to recognize the second Monday in October as Indigenous Peoples Day. Today, Indigenous Peoples Day is being recognized across the U.S. The recognition of Indigenous Peoples Day will begin today as a way to recognize that Fort Collins is originally the home to many Native American tribes and is still the home to a diverse Native community. In March of 2020, Colorado stopped recognizing Columbus Day when Governor Jared Polis signed a bill abolishing the holiday. The bill, however, did not apply to local governments, schools, districts, and businesses who can still choose whether or not to recognize Columbus Day. Fort Collins is now a part of a handful of Colorado cities like Boulder, Denver, and Colorado Springs to abolish Columbus Day and adopt Indigenous Peoples Day. Fort Collins Equity Director Claudia Mendez told the Coloradoan that the recognition of Indigenous Peoples Day gives Fort Collins a chance to recognize that Fort Collins has, quote, benefited and continues to benefit directly from Native American removal policies that violated human rights while also recognizing the residents of Native and Indigenous peoples despite the harms these systems and policies have caused, end quote. While members of local Native communities are pleased with the Day of Recognition, members are also hopeful the recognition is just a start of the City of Fort Collins putting forth additional effort into rebuilding a relationship with local Native communities. 
The following story is an update to a long-term Northern Colorado narcotics investigation. According to a Larimer County press release, the Northern Colorado Drug Task Force has been conducting a long-term narcotics investigation into a drug trafficking organization operating out of Northern Colorado. Investigation known as Operation Buyout initially led investigators to believe the drug trafficking organization was distributing cocaine. As the investigation progressed, investigators learned that firearms and various drugs were a common theme within the drug organization. With the assistance of several partner agencies, the latest search warrants were executed on October 5th in multiple locations throughout Fort Collins, Loveland, and Frederick, Colorado. Throughout the operations, detectives seized and recovered multiple items and other pieces of property. The items recovered included 3.4 pounds of cocaine with a $64,000 street value, 3.3 grams of fentanyl, 17 firearms and one suspected ghost gun, $44,000 in U.S. currency, 340 tabs of LSD, 500 Xanax pills, 5 pounds of psilocybin mushrooms, and narcotics distribution equipment. The investigation resulted in the arrest of the following individuals. 27-year-old Trey Renfro of Fort Collins was arrested for four counts of conspiracy to distribute a controlled substance and two counts of distributing a controlled substance. Renfro is being held at the Larimer County Jail on a $300,000 bond. 21-year-old Jose Angel Morales Acevo of Loveland was arrested for two counts of conspiracy to distribute a controlled substance and five counts of distribution of a controlled substance. Acevedo is being held in the Larimer County Jail on a $300,000 bond. 29-year-old Jose Hernandez Tremilo of Frederick has been arrested on five counts of conspiracy to distribute a controlled substance, distribution of a controlled substance, and six counts of distributing a controlled substance. Tremilo is being held in the Larimer County Jail on a $300,000 bond. 21-year-old Cheyenne Lakota Merlino of Loveland was arrested for possession with intent to distribute, special offender, possession of drug paraphernalia, and child abuse. Merlino bonded out of the Larimer County Jail on October 6th. Her bond was set at $25,000. And 26-year-old Aaron Maris of Loveland was arrested on October 6th for warrants, four counts of conspiracy distribute a controlled substance, and four counts of distribution of a controlled substance. Maris also bonded out of the Larimer County Jail on October 6th. His bond was set at $1,000. The investigation is ongoing and additional arrests are anticipated with the Northern Colorado Drug Task Force. The investigation is ongoing and additional arrests are anticipated. The Northern Colorado Drug Task Force has secured arrest warrants for the following individuals who are still at large. Noah Klausner of Windsor, Colorado, Soteros Paul Mulherman of Parker, Colorado, and Trevor Gregory of Loveland. Anyone with information relating to Operation Buyout can contact the Northern Colorado Drug Task Force at 970-416-2560. After failing to relocate a temporary shelter for men experiencing homelessness in Fort Collins, the shelter located at 212 Mountain Avenue will stay at its current location for another season. Fort Collins, in partnership with the Fort Collins Rescue Mission and Vineyard Church, submitted an application to the city to relocate the shelter to 1213 Riverside Avenue as a part of the Vineyard Campus. Currently, the plans are pending Fort Collins City Council approval. According to the Coloradoan, plans for approval include operating a seasonal shelter 24-7 for about three years until the Fort Collins Rescue Mission builds a shelter large enough to accommodate more people. 
While it is not guaranteed, the temporary shelter on Mountain Avenue will operate similarly to how it did last year. The shelter will provide 44 beds to men experiencing homelessness starting in November through April. The shelter is an overnight-only shelter operating from 5 o'clock p.m. to 8 o'clock a.m. To address the community impacts of the shelter on Mountain Avenue, there will be a virtual community meeting from 6 to 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday, October 19th. This meeting will allow neighbors and businesses to ask the City of Fort Collins and Rescue Mission questions and address any concerns. More information on this meeting can be found at fcgov.com council. I'm Portia Cook, and that's all for your local news. Stay tuned for information on an upcoming Colorado State University homecoming celebration as I go over the latest in music, entertainment, and events news after the break. If you are a current CSU student and would like to be a part of KCSU-FM, go to kcsufm.com backslash training to be a live DJ, podcaster, or reporter. This is 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Portia Cook, and as promised, I'm back with your music events and entertainment news. Collindale Golf Course is helping Colorado State University students celebrate homecoming. According to the City of Fort Collins, on October 14th, Collindale Golf Course will host a day of events to celebrate CSU's homecoming weekend. The event will kick off with a golf tournament benefiting the Youth Golf Scholarship Fund and the Tom Ethler's Student Athlete Endowment Fund at CSU. The event will include food vendors, live music, and a firework display. The event is no cost and registration is required. Registration forms can be found at fcgov.com slash golf and can be turned in to Kevin Sheasley at Seabian Pots located at 1411 East Horsetooth Road in Fort Collins. Blast and Scrap and Mishawaka presents Hotel Wi-Fi, The Affinjis, Sunrise Daydream, and Mood Seeing Mystery. The live concert event kicks off at Chimpers Lanes at 830 North College Avenue on Wednesday, October 12th at 7 o'clock p.m. Bowling will be available on a first-come, first-served basis at regular bowling prices. General admission seating is available throughout the venue, and a dance floor space will also be provided in front of the stage. This event is open to all ages, and a $10 donation can be given at the door. More information and tickets for this event can be found on the KCSU event calendar by going to calendar.kcsufm.com. I'm Portia Cook, and that's all for today's local music events and entertainment news. You can find the most up-to-date music, entertainment, and events schedule on the KCSU events calendar. The KCSU event calendar can be found on the KCSU website at kcsufm.com under the events calendar dropdown. Now, an interview with Kira McKinley and members of ASCSU. 
The ASCSU meeting from September 28th was quite eventful, to say the least. At this meeting, members of the Senate voted in new members of the Student Fee Review Board. The candidates were all previously vetted and interviewed by Vice President Elijah Sandoval. But during this meeting, they were all brought up to the front of the Senate chambers to be officially voted in. They were asked a series of questions during this Q&A period and sent out of the room while the senators moved into a discussion and voting period. Once the candidates left, members of SDPS voiced their concerns for two candidates, Stephen Laffey and Adeline Schumer. Senators Morgan and Ritter thought that Schumer might need to grow in her understanding of different diversity issues. When it came to Laffey, though, the senators' concerns were more deeply rooted. Laffey, who is a 14-year-old attending CSU, supposedly made some questions last year that made members of SDPS feel as though their voices could have been silenced. In response to these claims, Vice President Sandoval said, quote, I understand where you are coming from because I felt very uncomfortable around Stephen last year. However, people grow, people change. We cannot compare last year to this year. There are so many new faces in this space, so many new voices, so many new thoughts, ideas, you name it. We cannot continue to judge someone by their past mistakes. I learned that. I learned that in the spring semester with one of our choices for directors. I made that mistake. I have full confidence in Stephen Lafayette and his ability to do this job, end quote. After Elijah's remarks, the two candidates who were being discussed were brought in for questioning again. The two senators that were leading up these allegations against Lafayette continued to bring them up but not go too deep into the details. The Speaker of the Senate, Nick DeSavo, then said, quote, You know, before we continue any further, I'd like us all to think for a second. Let's say you're just a random student in ASCSU, thinking about the student government and wondering what we actually do. And we show them an example of this. Do you think that would really be a good use of our time or a good use of the student fee dollars that we are so blessed with in order to make real change on campus? Before we proceed any further with this, I'd like you all to think about that. End quote. Soon after DuSavo's remarks, Stephen Laffey responded to these allegations and requested more information. The senators leading up these allegations did not dive too far into their premises as they abruptly left the Senate chambers. Shortly after their exit, a vote took place that ratified all the proposed candidates as board members of the Student Fee Review Board. We'll now hear updates on the situation from different members of ASCSU and information about the overall culture and environment at ASCSU as well. First up, we'll hear from the Speaker of the Senate, Nick DiSavo. Can I have you just tell me a little bit about what's been happening in the Senate and specifically kind of touch on what happened last Wednesday as well? Yeah, so um, pretty much at the start of the year, we really just focused on a lot of internal things. The Senate's role um, is really much like the federal government advice and consent, and then we ratify everyone. So we've done BSOF, we've done SFRB, we've done the the justices of the Supreme Court. We've gone through all the foundational documents, updated them. Um, so that's essentially what we've done. We haven't spent any money yet. Um, and from what I understand, historically, that's typical. Most of the money gets spent in the spring semester. I would like to work on more bills that are substantial and concrete rather than focus on what's happening internally. Um, but I can't. I can write the legislation. I can't write the legislation for everyone. 
And then for someone who, of course, is an ASCCU, can you explain that a little more to me? So you write bills. Um, how would you explain that to someone who didn't know anything about it? Yeah. So uh, senators have the unique opportunity um, in the Senate budget. We have about $120,000 allocated just for whatever project someone wants to work on. So if you see an issue on campus, um, maybe it has to do with, with public safety. You think a, a crosswalk should be raised. You could work with parking and transportation services, throw some Senate money at that, throw a bill, you write an ASCSU bill, goes through the process, gets approved or denied. And then um, in the Senate, of course, um, there are some notorious things that it can be a wee bit dramatic, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And then there was some serious allegations thrown out last Wednesday. How can you touch on that? Can you touch on what happened, your perspective of what happened? Yeah. So... I think the Senate in particular, when you kind of juxtapose that with the other branches, it's difficult, right? Because you have 40, 50 different personalities, different backgrounds, all coming together and clashing. And sometimes, unfortunately, it gets pers personal when I think it really shouldn't be. And so um, essentially what happened is we had a ratification where... Everything was fine during Q&A when you could ask a candidate specifically anything that you want to know about that candidate. If you have concerns, you could bring that up in Q&A. And that wasn't done. Uh, everything was sunshine and unicorns and everything looked fine in Q&A. And so we get to discussion and debate and uh, someone makes a motion to remove two candidates from the slate. And so... Before I entertained that motion, I wanted some justification as to why, and I wanted the Senate to discuss it. Because I feel, um, you know, before we vote on something that, that something that consequential, we should have a reasoning behind it. So the Senator gave her reasoning. Uh, we discussed it for a little bit. And I essentially was just following precedent from what I did last semester. Um, concerns, allegations, really, that are brought up in discussion and debate that aren't brought up in Q&A, I think are wrong. Um, because when you have something that serious and you don't allow candidates to respond to them, um, that's, that's an issue from a, an HR standpoint, first of all. And I just take issue with it because I feel it's underhanded. If, um, if you have a concern about someone, you shouldn't do it when they're out of the room. Should do it when they're in the room and kind of get an understanding as, as to why you think that way about that specific individual. So that's what happened. Unfortunately, feelings ran hot and, uh, and some things happened. Some, it, it, my role as speaker is I can protect people from being personally attacked. I won't accept anyone being personally attacked in the Senate. What I can't protect against is uh, people being offended. The reality is when you have so many different personalities clashing, somebody's going to say something maybe, and somebody isn't, other people aren't going to like that. That's the reality of it. Uh, you could approach that in, in two different ways. You could let it roll off your back and say, you know, I'm not going to let that affect me, or you can let it affect you. And as speaker, you're in this position where you do have that power. How are you going to help resolve this situation? And how are you going to prevent this from happening in the future? Like kind of unify the Senate, which is something that a platform that you ran on right. as well. And, and that's the difficult part too, because, you know, it comes back to the many different personalities, but 
I think if foundationally we get away from seeing one another as as adversaries, as political adversaries, and we see other people in the Senate as people who, at the end of the day, should really be Team CSU, who are focused on doing something good for the students that's going to benefit the students. I'm trying to get that message across, but, you know, there are some people in the Senate who just diametrically oppose what someone else is doing just because they hate them. And I can't, I can't really do much about that. So, um, I mean, it's an uphill battle. I'm trying to be there, but, you know, senators have to meet me in the middle as well. And do you have anything else you'd like to add on to that? That's kind of, that's kind of it. I think, I think a lot of it stems as well as there are just so many new people and, you know, maybe they don't exactly know what's going on. Yeah. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, so I came from my last interview, a lot of people are throwing in the narrative now is there's a lot of possible racism going on, intentional or not. And um, we're just um, in the ASUSU meeting, too. They were part of the allegations words that he was trying to silence diversities. Do you think that this is happening? And secondly, along with that, um, what would you do to help combat it? So um, realistically, I don't think it's happening. Um, I am 99.99% sure that everyone in that Senate chamber does not have um, any racist or malicious intent with anything that they do. Um, As far as what occurred and what I allowed to happen as far as the extension of the questioning, I've heard that I've been uh, accused of trying to silence the voices of, of women or women of color. That's the exact opposite of what I did. Um, rather than shutting them down and saying, no, I'm not going to entertain this motion to remove them from the slate. I gave them more opportunity to say why they wanted to do it. And I gave them the opportunity to confront the individual as well. That's giving more voice to marginalized communities, not taking it away. And then again, for someone who is not an ASSU, can you explain why they wanted, what the slate is and why they wanted them taken off of it really quick for me? Yeah. So the slate essentially puts all the candidates um, in one voting block. So they're questioned all together. They're discussed all together and they're voted on all together. Um, But that doesn't mean you can't question people individually and it doesn't mean you can't remove them from the slate. Uh, So it's a slate is really a way to streamline things when, um, there really is no controversy. And they wanted them removed off the slate so they could be voted on individually, separately. That's right, yeah. And that did not happen? No. It was okay. it was voted down by the Senate. And, um, you know, it's the allegation has been made that people didn't know what they were voting on as far as the slate was concerned. I looked back at the video. A senator had raised that question, like, what are we voting on? And I broke it down step by step exactly what was being voted on. So again, that opened up the opportunity for for a senator to again motion to remove those individuals from the slate, and that would have done been done by secret ballot vote. Anything else? That's it. If you're just tuning in, you just heard from Nick DiSabo, the Speaker of the Senate, about disputes and the overall culture at ASCSU. We will now hear from another member of ASCSU, Sabina Gabru. Hi, my name is Sabina Gabru. Uh, my First name, S-A-B-I-N-A, last name, G-E-B-R-U. 
I'm a third year human development family studies major with a minor in business. I represent the College of Health and Human Sciences in ASCSU. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, can you describe to me, from your perspective, what went down at the last Senate meeting? A lot went down. Yeah, for sure. So we had we had some contention about two particular candidates for the Student Fee Review Board um, on the grounds that they might need to explain their understanding of diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice a little bit more. Um, we also had some pushback from members of the executive cabinet about bringing up these issues in a more sustainable manner. Um, we had some concerns that this should have been brought up in the 51st Senate session, which was last year. What were those pushbacks you were saying from the executive board? Um, you... Well, first of all, I'm Jason Wall. I'm on the Secretary of State for ASCSU. My name is spelled J-A-S-E-N-W-A-H-L-E-R. As per what Sabina was saying about exec, um, the member of exec who is sponsoring the controversial candidate, um, the rest of executive does not back up that decision. And furthermore, executive wants nothing to do with the situation. Um, we merely want to just keep focusing on our work and uh, assist Senate where we can, but not get involved in a situation like this. Um, so when that person um, supported uh, the controversial candidate, um, executive was not endorsing that by any means. It was a personal choice by the person. Thank you, Jason. And can you elaborate on kind of the division we saw at that meeting as well? I know you, can you touch on the fact that you've come from this perspective of you didn't know what happened last year? What did that look like to you then? So I have no previous um, information about any details that had happened last year in the situation that happened. Can I mention names? Of course. Of mm -hmm. candidates. Um, there was an accusation made about Stephen Leafy, who was applying to be a member on the Student Fee Review Board, about his previous interactions with SDPS offices in the 51st Senate session primarily concerns about interference with how Senate members are elected in the SDPS offices. And the NAC, the Native American Cultural Center senators, had mentioned that Stephen Leafy had caused harm in not only their space, but also in the Asian Pacific American Cultural Center, APAC. And they wanted to ask questions about how has Stephen Leafy learned from his mistakes? What has he understood? about how Senate is elected in cultural spaces and what will he change about his approach to um, cultural sensitivity this upcoming Senate session just to ensure that he has actually learned from his mistakes in the past. And the pushback we received from Speaker of the Senate was about not bringing up previous mistakes and was about protecting the image of ASCSU Speaker of the Senate um, had also made some points about addressing these issues during the questioning um, phase of the interview process during Senate because those allegations had been called after the candidates had been removed from the chamber for discussion. Um, and another point of pushback that we received from the vice president was that we shouldn't be bringing up issues from the 51st Senate session into the 52nd. 
I know you're saying you received pushback from Nick, the Speaker of the Senate. He said in his justification, some people are throwing around quite extreme allegations that there is racism, sexism, um, different things going on within the Senate. This isn't like an isolated incident. Um, for him, he said he may re be receiving some of those allegations now, but in turn, he thought that that wasn't true. He wasn't trying to silence women or anything because he was trying to give a voice to those senators um, and allow them to ask questions, bring the candidates back in. What do you think about that? I think that Nick made a lot of great points during his involvement during last week's session. And I think Nick was coming from good intentions. However, I do think Nick also failed to recognize that he may have overstepped his bounds and may have inadvertently silenced the voices of the NAC senators. And how, for someone who is an ASCSU, this is like a lot to take in, of course. And how do you think he did that? Um, by the slate? Like, how do you think that happened? I think the motion to put everybody on a slate was a good decision because that usually saves time. However, during the questioning phase when we were questioning all of the candidates, it became clear to the majority of the Senate members, the senators, that there were two members who maybe should have a little bit more focus on them. So there was a motion passed or there was a motion from the NAC senators to remove two of the members off of the slate and vote on them individually, to which Nick had some pushback on. And then after discussion, um, I made the point that we should bring them back in for additional questioning, just the two of them, because Nick had told us that we should be bringing these allegations up to them. And so I, when I was making my discussion points, I told Nick that maybe we should bring them back in and we should question them, which is what we did. And what was the rest of your question? I think it was just, yeah, that why do people think that he would have been um, silently women in that? Because like from someone who's not an ASTSU, it can be a hard thing to understand how it all works. You know what I mean? Um, just all the different processes and stuff. I think you answered that. Um, do you uh, have anything else you'd like to add to To that? elaborate, I think why it comes off as silencing is when the language that Nick used was um, invited conflict into the space and invited a sense of agitation, almost. What Nick said was borderline accusing the NAC senators of creating an atmosphere in ASCSU that would make ASCSU look bad to the students in the gallery, which he had spoken about. He said that I want everyone to take a pause and think about the students in the gallery who are here watching what ASCSU looks like. Is this what we want to show them? And that came off as you are speaking too much about DIJ issues. You're speaking too much about issues in the past. And this will make ASCSU look bad. And this will make it so that students don't want to be in ASCSU. And so just because of the um, statements that he made, it very much came off as, I think if you keep talking about this and pressing this point, that you will be the reason students don't want to come to ASCSU. And the culture in ASCSU, do you feel like this is a comfortable place? Um, what do you think the culture is like there, the environment? I think if we are looking at 
ASCSU being a safe space versus a brave space, it most definitely is a brave space most of the time. And that becomes more so the case for students who are there representing minoritized and marginalized voices on campus. What do you think about Adeline, the second controversial candidate that was brought in? I think Adeline is a great person. I We did get to learn from Vice President Elijah that they are really good friends and Elijah endorsed her as a good person. Um, however, during her questioning period, some some controversial responses that she gave to the answers, um, particularly about her understanding of racism, they seemed unscripted. Like she had never thought about racism being an issue before like the idea of racism was new to her which she did admit because she said in her statement that she had never been taught racism however racism is an institutional it's institutionalized and it's in everything we know especially in the united states of america it was a point of concern for me and for a lot of other individuals in this space because racism since it is institutionalized as a white person if you're not aware of that then you automatically become racist. And so the accusations that were being made about Adeline were not to say that she was a bad person, but that she was uninformed about racism and diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice. And because of that, we felt that she was not prepared for the role on SFRB. And it was also, it was disappointing to us to see that she was despite showing that she was not ready for the position, that she was elected onto the board. And that brought into question, uh, that brought a lot of concerns as to how people are being elected and whether or not we are sacrificing, what was it that Kimberly said? Sacrificing inclusion for the sake of expediting how fast Senate goes. And there is a better way that Kimberly put it. She used Three words. So it was so succinct. She said, we're not sacrificing inclusion for efficiency. So after seeing that the two candidates who there was a lot of contention over, seeing them elected into the SFRB made a lot of us question whether ASCSU was actually sacrificing inclusion for the sake of efficiency. Yeah, I think that's all of my questions. Thank you. Mm -hmm. If you're just tuning in, you just heard from Sabrina Gabru about disputes in the overall environment at ASCSU. Now we will hear from another member of ASCSU, Rithik Correa. My name is Rithik Correa. It's spelled as R-I-T-H-I-K, last name C-O-R-R-E-A. I also go by Rick, and I am a computer science major here at CSU. Thank you. And what was your position at ASCSU? At ASCSU, I am a senator for the Office of International Programs. And what do you think the environment is like at ASCSU? At this point, I have mixed opinions. There are certain sessions where I feel we're doing everything efficiently. Certain sessions where I feel that now we are just doing the same mistakes with that uh, last year. It's kind of toxic from uh, both sides of the spectrum. One side blames the other. The other side blames the other side. And we've tried uh, multiple... We tried to have multiple conversations to try and eliminate all the toxicity from the space, but it keeps recurring every single time. And then specifically last Wednesday, what was your take on that situation? Last Wednesday. All right. So the reason uh, Nick intervened. Now, Nick's job as a speaker is to facilitate conversation and to make sure that Senate is uh, working in a germane environment within the confines of what we call decorum. And that is what Nick was trying to do. 
but as it's usually done within Senate, uh, whenever senators or associate senators uh, do not like what's going on, they tend to twist words, saying that, oh, you're not being inclusive towards a certain group of people, which is really not the case. And uh, Nick's job that has a facilitator for conversation was to try and make sure every candidate gets an opportunity to defend themselves. Uh, has accusations were being made once the candidates left during discussion and debate, and none of these questions popped up. And we've had, I've had a discussion with him as well, and his intention was just so that the candidates would have a fair opportunity to defend themselves. There were there was also more uh, doubt, especially with new senators, because they didn't know the whole issue. Has uh, the person ac- accusing? Uh, the candidates didn't really give the whole context. They were like, "Hey, I just don't like this person. He gives us a bad. He gives me bad vibes somewhere along the lines of that. Don't quote me on it, but it's somewhere along the lines of that." And Nick just Nick actually gave them the opportunity to open up discussion and debate. And Nick asked. Uh, the particular senator who made the accusation to uh, give more context on the issue. So Nick actually did his job in facilitating conversations, but he did have an issue with the candidate not being asked these questions. And he did have an issue with the candidate being asked to leave and then these issues being brought up. Yeah. And some people are saying that Nick's response may be inappropriate as it could have been emotionally driven instead of professionally driven. Um, And some people are now bringing in this narrative that he... Um, responded in a way that could have been sexist and oppressive towards um, women and women of minorities. You kind of addressed that, but what do you think happened? I know you were talking about Nick then. Uh, yes, as I yeah. said, it's it's kind of like the, the suppression doesn't really happen within the space. But anytime a, a, a person with a marginalized identity, I'm not saying everybody, but there are certain people within this the space that tend to to say, hey, if you oppose me, I'm going to say I am an oppressed person and you cannot oppose me, which is ridiculous in my opinion. Everybody, regardless of their skin color, should get the same rights and privileges within the space. I don't see why just because you belong to a particular group that you should be given special privileges or you should not be, uh, there should not be any opposing arguments against you. Uh, Nick, whatever Nick did over there was based on previous occurrences within Senate. There was an instance in the first Senate session, which was uh, in May, that Nick had to bang the gavel down to stop a particular uh, senator from making false accusations. I would say false accusations because they took it out directly from an Instagram page. So the accusation was literally from a post on some random Instagram page that was brought into Senate. And Nick had to bang his gavel down saying, hey, I am not going to entertain these these kinds of conversations because there is zero proof. And Nick did the exact same thing this Senate session. But since the person who made the accusation would be a person from a minority or a marginalized background, they started saying, hey, the only reason you're stopping me is because I'm from a marginalized background, which is not the case. Nick would have done it regardless of who it would have been. His job there is to maintain decorum within the Senate, and which is why he had to try and ask that particular person uh, to give more context so that other senators could understand. I do agree, and and one instance, Nick might have raised his voice to a slight extent, but that was not because he was angry. It was because he was trying to emphasize a particular point. And, it, uh, and the senators on the other side of the aisle misrepresented what he was trying to do just to fit their own agenda. Thank you. And Mm -hmm. um, the overarching culture, I know we touched on Nick in particular, but the overarching culture in ASCSU um, has been kind of supposedly notorious for having this type of um, allegations for, you know, racism and sexism and stuff. Do you think that that is 
present in your culture, whether indirectly or directly? Within ASCSU, I would say no. There are more people of color in ASCSU than white people. To be honest, look at the legislative cabinet, for example. There are more people of color in legislative cabinet than white people. How how is it possible for you to face such forms of racism when you are actually the majority within that space? It's something to think about. But also highlight the fact that like I'm from India, I am a brown person, but I am not going to say uh, that I feel threatened within the space whenever I'm opposed because of my skin color, which is not the case. I have been well accepted. I've been in this country for what, three and a half years. This campus is predominantly white and I haven't personally faced any forms of racism from these folks or whenever I went off campus. I never faced in these three and a half years that I've been in this country, faced any such forms of racism. And I feel very bad when the very people that accepted me are being accused of doing the exact opposite. And so I think it is my job as an international student with a more neutral perspective, more outsider perspective on the issues that are happening here to give my opinion. And which is why I want to say that just because a person of a particular identity is being opposed, it doesn't mean that they're attacking that person for their identity. They might just be opposing their viewpoint. That's it. And which is something we should do it's a democracy guys let's uh let's you know critique each other's viewpoints so that we can actually find what we need to do not shut down arguments just because we don't like it thank you do you have anything else you'd like to add i guess that'll be all if you're just tuning in you just heard from rithik korea about disputes in the overall culture at ascsu we will now hear from ava iola about this topic as well Alrighty, uh, my name is Ava Ayala, A-V-A-A-Y-A-L-A, and I am a zoology major. What's your position at ASCSU? Uh, currently, I am a senator for the College of Natural Sciences, but I will also be um, running for vice uh, chair of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Caucus. Oh my gosh, that's great. When is that um, election taking place? Uh, around next week at some point. So good. Who else is running? Um, so far, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person running, uh, to my knowledge. <laughs> Why are you running for that board? Um, it was something like my original purpose of wanting to be in ASCSU is to um, make more changes in DEI. And I have a research project going on right now, which also is about DEI. So being like vice chair would honestly just kind of help. And um, in light of a lot of the stuff that's going on that happened last Wednesday, um, well, first off, how long have you been at ASCSU? Uh, this is actually my first year. This is your first ASCSU. year. So um, there seem to be a lot of previous problems, some notoriously problems with different <laughs> things, especially last year. Um, what has been your experience in ASCSU? What has the environment been like for you? Um, at least for me personally, I've been able to talk to a lot of the returners and a lot of the STPS uh, senators. And so... The environment for me with them there has been very welcoming and I've had, I found like a little group that I I feel like I can like really talk to and understand mm -hmm. what I'm going through right now. Um, I think originally when I first got in there, because of course you don't really know anyone when you're first there, um, it was a little hard because I sat kind of, I sat like back like third row kind of in the middle. So I was kind of like alone in a sense. So it was definitely um, a little bit hard to make some more connections, but I think... Um, just being able to find people who have the same like goal as you in ASCSU really helped me create like a good environment. Do you think it's like clicky then? Is it an environment that you think you could walk up to another board and just be friends and on good terms with? Or is it different than that? Um, I think everyone has their own little like outreach, like everyone knows someone. And so I think 
I wouldn't call it clicky because we I we are inviting more people to like be with us. We're more inviting like we want to hear other people's opinions and other people's voices. I know personally myself, I introduced myself to a couple new people at the Senate meeting who just got sworn in. And I was like, hi, my name's Ava. Like, if you need anything, like, let me know. I'm here, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I wouldn't exactly call it clicky because we do go out and we do talk to other people. But we still like we'll come back and talk to each other. Kind of focusing in on a little about what happened last Wednesday. What was your take on that? Were you there at the meeting? Yeah, I sat, or like I sat before, like I said, back middle. And um, my take on last week was that there was a lot of um, procedural issues that happened, as well as um, uh, breaking decorum in the Senate. There was a lot of things that could have been avoided if it just came to, um, I guess, like keeping in line with the Senate bylaws and constitution. Um, as of right now, there is an opinion review form going through the judicial branch about last week because of the way that procedure was done. There's definitely comments that may have sh- like should not have been said and um, some statements that were given that were definitely, I feel like a little out of people's, like out of line for some people huh. to be saying. And for someone who's not an ASCSU, it can be a little overwhelming to know everything about it. Um, what are the reviews that are happening with, you said, the procedural stuff and the judicial branch? What is that? And if those go through, what would happen? So as of right now, there is an opinion re- review form going through the judicial branch, which is a form submitted by um, senators and other people who kind of agree with the statement of that procedure was not followed during last week's Senate meeting. Um, The judicial branch right now is looking at that question and looking through the Constitution and bylaws to see if that is true. And if it is true, then they will kind of, um, what will happen is that there will kind of be like a revote. So we did vote in a slate for the um, Student Fee Review Board or SFRB. So there will be a revote on those like that slate, but mostly the two people that were specifically stated in those opinion review form. Yeah. And a little question for the overarching culture at ASCSU. A lot of people have been claiming that there is a culture that um, indirectly or directly may be racist, sexist, um, discriminatory towards different diversities type of thing. Those are the reports we've been hearing. What do you have to say on that? I do believe there is um validity to the statements because uh from last week's meeting there was definitely um racism like was the main driving factor of last week's meeting and the um points that were given um i also would say that due to like previous like even past senate meetings there's been like i don't want to say transphobia in the senate but there was just some um statements made that were definitely not I would say that don't follow DEI. I do think there is some racism and some like sexism and like homophobia in the Senate. But as of right now, they are not like as prevalent as like the racism comments that were stated last week. Would you mind elaborating on that more? Like what what were those comments that were racist? Um, so the driving factor of last week's meeting was or last week's Senate was the ratification of the um, SFRB, which contained a member that wanted to be ratified who in previous years, so I think fall of 2021, um, had um, 
inquired or at least I don't want to say attempted because there was no like actual bill placed, but they um, tried to change the way that um, uh, SDPS office. So like student diversity offices or like the cultural centers um, get like elected or get appointed to Senate positions. Um, They did not think it was like a fair way that they got um, appointed and they wanted to kind of change that as well as um, they made multiple uh, STPS senators very uncomfortable with their questioning. They came into their offices and kind of like questioned them and their like directors kind of about how all of um, the things were run, like how, of course, SPS senators got elected. So it was just that like, this person made us very uncomfortable. They were trying to change, like they almost want to get rid of the STPS offices from the Senate, which only in 2017, they just barely got voting rights. They said they wanted to, or it implied? They, I would say they implied it only because there was no actual like bill or something on the floor to remove them. Yeah, very serious. At last week, what were the comments that were brought up that, made people feel uncomfortable and feel as though they were like racist comments um there was definitely to use like more of a slang term there was definitely a lot of uh, gaslighting going on in the senate um kind of attacking two senators and their concerns on this one candidate and um that person in like that person also kind of was was attacking them as well like they their decorum and like some of the words they were using were definitely not um, appropriate in the Senate when you're supposed to be very um, proper. Um, he were all they were also held back by a member of um, the legislative branch because they were held back by the uh, vice president because they were stepping up towards the Senate benches. Like they started walking towards the Senate benches and they needed to be like they couldn't be walking towards people that they are mad at and which it made a safety concern for those two senators and they had to leave the room okay yeah thank you so much and do you think that you could foresee things changing do you think people are aware that this is an issue or are they oblivious that they're taking like coming off this way you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um I think there is a definitely there's definitely a lot of the Senate members who see that like that last week was a problem. But I also from this week, a lot of senators were like, we should be moving on. We should be focusing on the students and not about things that have passed in a sense. Like we should start passing more bills for the students. And why are we focusing on the past? Even though if we just let what happened last week go under the table, then we agree to letting someone who obviously had some um bad bad have bad has bad motives like continue to sit on such a high board which is like the student fee review board which they take all the money that students like like pay for this college and they allocate it to different places and a lot of the cultural centers rely on the money that um they're given by the sfrb and so having a person who definitely does not have the right motives and the best motives for the cultural centers sitting on a board where the cultural centers kind of rely on is um, not something that we can just move forward with. It's not something we can just sweep under the table and do like focus on it in a sense. Um, And so I think there's a lot of people who do think 
like what we're doing is good. But I also think there's a lot of people who are like, we should be moving on. We should focus on the students when this is focusing on the students. It's just not directly on the students. And I think that's all my questions I have for you. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Not exactly, but I know um, that there will also be a like internal complaint or con internal conflict uh, submitted soon to the judicial branch. On what is um, that? it's kind of um, we're saying like this, or someone saying like this person is like kind of not doing their job, or they have obviously like not followed a lot of the rules that are set in is the that intensive. Nick DiSabo? Um, I'm pretty sure it will be towards Nick. And speaking of that, do you have, um, we talked to him as well. How do you think he handled that on Wednesday? Uh, last Wednesday? I think it was handled very, um, I think, I don't think it was proper. Like it was properly handled last week. Um, there was definitely statements made um that were i feel a little like past his boundaries like and past the line um he did like make a comment this wednesday about saying like he wasn't calling anyone out and sorry if it felt like that when i know like a lot of people were like you definitely were talking like you definitely had your statements aimed at someone or some like form of people um I just think how last week was, because also he is the speaker. So when it comes to procedural stuff, that's on his part as well. And there was definitely something wrong with the procedures of last week. So if any, if not his statements, it's the way he conducted the Senate last week. Yeah. Thank you. Anything else? Um, not right. to know. Thank you so much, Eva. You just heard from various members at ASCSU about disputes and the overall culture at ASCSU right now. If you've missed any of these interviews, you can find this episode of The RMR on Spotify and other podcast platforms. NOCO is a proud underwriting sponsor of 90.5 KCSU. Nash NOCO is a local food delivery company serving Northern Colorado. Nash NOCO partners with a collective of local restaurant owners to deliver food using their mobile app or website. The local owners of Nash NOCO are proud to support other Northern Colorado businesses, food lovers, and listeners of 90.5 KCSU. For more information, visit noco.noshdelivery.co or the Nash NOCO app. In environmental news, an extreme drought in Texas has now resulted in damages to a cotton field that makes up a huge portion of the world's crop. 
Earlier this year, the U.S. Department of Agriculture forecasted that farmers within the region would have to abandon 40% of their crops. Now it's projected that 70% of their crops will be lost. This is now the worst harvest the region has seen since 2009. Even after farmers in the region receive federal crop insurances, it could still cost them $1.2 billion. In the 1950s, around 500 cotton gins were open. Now there are only 185 open within the region as of last year. While this is due to technological developments, weather factors such as droughts have played a role in this decrease as well. Information from this story comes from CNN. The Easter Island stone hedges have now been scorched by fire and may have suffered irrefutable damages. The stone hedges were created by Polynesian tribes over 500 years ago on the island off the coast of Chile. The park is currently closed while members of Chile's National Monuments Council assesses the damages. Information from this story comes from USA Today. News. In other environmental news, Indian narrow-headed soft-shell turtles have just hatched at the San Diego Zoo in California. This is the first time this endangered species has ever bred at a zoo in North America. The turtles are on the International Union for the Conservation of Nature's Endangered Species list. The species, which is native to South Asia, has decreased in numbers due to hunting and habitat loss. The San Diego Zoo has now bred these turtles after 20 years. While these tiny turtles could fit into the palm of your hand now. Once they are fully grown, they'll be about three and a half feet long. Information from this story comes from CNN. Thank you for listening to my environmental news updates. In national news, four family members were kidnapped and killed. An eight-month-year-old, their parents, and uncle were kidnapped and killed in California last week. Police have now arrested two brothers. One of the brothers previously worked for the family's trucking business. He was arrested on four accounts of murder and kidnapping, while the other brother has been arrested with charges of criminal conspiracy accessory, and destroying evidence in connection with the case. No motive has been released yet. Members of the community in California are now grappling with these deaths. A visual was held for these family members last week. Information from this story comes from CNN. In other national news, getting into law school is no easy feat, especially at Northeastern Law School, whose acceptance rate is a whopping 18%. This is a hard law school to get into, and unfortunately, about 4,000 thought they got in for a brief moment. According to CNN, about 4,000 false acceptance letters were sent out by email to applicants who applied to this law school this past year. Although this letter was mistakenly sent out by email, school officials quickly sent out a correction letter apologizing for the mistake. For the 2022 school year, only 234 students were accepted into the program, while 3,877 students applied to the program. Although the letter was sent out to 3,930 applicants who applied to attend the school next year, Decisions will be made until later on in this year. Information from this story comes from CNN. An American automotive company, Rivian, is now recalling almost all of its vehicles. 13,000 vehicles have been recalled, and this is due to concerns that the fastener connecting the vehicle's front upper control arm and steering knuckle may not be fully torqued. If you are experiencing excessive noise, vibrations, or harshness of the front suspension, or a change in steering wheel performance, you should call immediately, end quote. The fix will only take the company about 30 minutes, and with customer collaboration, they aim to have all the fixes done within 30 days. Information from this story comes from USA Today News. Thank you for listening to my national news updates. I'm Ewan Hurt, and welcome to this week's RMR Sports Update. We have 
six teams to talk about today. Those being volleyball, football, women's tennis, women's soccer, cross country, and women's swim and dive. Up first, we have volleyball, who is 12 and 12-5 on the season after splitting last week, 1-1 one one record in their two games. The volleyball team is looking to get back in the win column at Fresno State later this week and then San Diego State to cap off the week. Football is now 1-4 on the season, finally taking their first win of the season in Nevada in dramatic fashion. The Rams football team will be looking to get another win here in Fort Collins as they host Utah State at the end of the week. Women's tennis will be playing in the ITA regionals from the middle of the week through the end of the week. Women's soccer is now 4-4-6 four and four and six on the season. The good news is that the soccer team ended the tie streak finally. The bad news is it ended with a loss in a game in Nevada. The team will be going into this week with the hope of taking a win in the middle of the week at Air Force and then at Colorado College at the very end of the week. Cross country, uh, after taking the Wyoming Invitational first place and Roy Griak Invitational fourth place, the cross country team is heading into another competition at the Nuttycomb Wisconsin Invitational at the end of the week. Women swim and dive after last week's competition in Fresno at the Chick-fil-A Invitational. The swim and dive team will be competing against the Colorado School of Mines and New Mexico State in Golden at the end of the week. I'm Ewan Pert and this has been your sports update of the week. Thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Portia Cook with your Fort Collins weather forecast for today, Tuesday, October 11th. Today was warm and sunny with a high of 75 degrees and increasing clouds during the afternoon. Tonight, you can expect continued clouds and a low of 38 degrees. As for Wednesday, you can expect sunny skies and moderate winds with a high of 73 degrees. And for the rest of this week's weather, you can tune in for the next episode of the Rocky Mountain Review only on 90.5 FM KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Portia Cook with your KCSU weather report. Information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guest today, our news producer, Reese Granger, as well as the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Portia. And I'd like to thank you, Kira. And finally, we couldn't do this without you. Dear listener, thank you. If you miss any part of today's show, you can find the RMR podcast on kcsufm.com under news or podcast. You can also find us on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to your podcast by searching KCSU News. And with that, we'll see you next time. time.